Psalm 78. We're going to read from verses 1 to 11. It says there, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. The children of Ephraim, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They kept not the covenant of God, and refused to walk in his law, and forget his works and his wonders that he had showed them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for, for your word. Uh, such a blessing, Lord, to be gathered around it. Uh, Lord, as I uh, preach the word this morning, that you, I do pray that you'll be with me, be with my mouth, be with my mind, and uh, Lord, that I'll be able to uh, deliver your word in all truth, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we see there in verse 2, uh, we've got this psalm of Asaph here, and he says there, I'll open my mouth in a parable, I'll utter dark sayings of old. Uh, Jesus himself spoke in parables uh, when he was on the earth, and uh, it's not to speak in a way that uh, people can't understand it. It's just that somebody who is seeking the Lord will be under, able to understand a parable or the dark sayings of old. And uh, someone who's got a real heart for the Lord or somebody who's really seeking the truth, uh, they can study these things out and they can understand them. And uh, here Asaph here is reminding the people of his day to remember and to keep in memory the great things that the Lord has done in the nation of Israel and for the people of that nation. Now Israel and things that happened to them are uh, used as, as examples uh, throughout the scriptures for future generations that would come afterward. God gives us examples of uh, what to do and also examples of what not to do. And God uses relatable examples. And uh, we can see through those relatable ex examples his goodness. We see his love. Uh, we can see his mercy. We can see his... Uh, justice, his holiness, his faithfulness and long-suffering and all the attributes of God we can see through all the examples that he's given us in the scriptures. And uh, right from the very beginning of time we see God being merciful to man and giving them a chance to get right with him and giving them an opportunity even after they have rebelled against him. God is still merciful and gives them that opportunity to make things right. It started in the Garden of Eden when man rebelled the first time. God loved man and gave mankind freedom to love and obey him in return. Adam and Eve were free to eat of any fruit in the Garden of Eden. There was also a tree in the garden that God forbade them to eat from. He said, don't eat from that one. And uh, he says, the moment you eat from it, you will surely die. But what a better way is there to prove 
his marvellous creation by giving them the opportunity to love and obey him. What better way? So God has given mankind free will. He's given them uh, the freedom to say, I will obey you. And he's, but they can also disobey God. Only a sovereign, all-powerful, omniscient, omnipotent, omnibenevolent God is able to do that. Only the God of heaven is able to do that. God can give man a, uh, mankind a choice that God himself says he won't interfere with to prove if they love him or not. Now, I don't know about, I don't know about you, but when I think about that, my mind starts to go around in circles a little bit you know, to try and understand it, but there are some things that my puny little brain will probably never understand about God because I'm uh, created by him. I'm not God. But when the Bible says it, I believe it. There was a tree in the garden that God said, don't eat of it because when you do, you're going to surely die. And he was serious. By the grace of God, they had a choice to obey him or not. And that choice to obey God or disobey God has never changed even until this day. Yes, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God and they, they lost their innocence before God and they brought, they brought a curse upon this world and a curse upon the human race. You know, now we all physically die. You know, we all have to go through pain and sorrow this side of heaven. You know, the curse has affected every part of our world. You'd have to be blind not to see it. But that doesn't mean that God isn't good and loving because God in his benevolent generosity has given mankind a way to get right with him again. And, it is, and as it was in the beginning, it still is now. Every individual has a choice to obey God or disobey God. God in his omnipotent wisdom had a plan from before the foundation of the world that man even in this rebellious state, in this cursed world in sin, can still choose to obey the gospel. And I thank the Lord for that. Demonstrated and fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ in his death on the cross. God himself manifest, manifest in the flesh, dying for sinners. That's amazing. Raised to life that through faith in him, anyone can be restored to a relationship with God and have eternity in heaven. And that comes through a choice that we all have to make. A choice that God gave man right from the very beginning. A choice that's always on God's terms. Always on God's terms. He instituted it that way. Now the fact that we have a choice comes from God. To obey God or disobey God. And that's going to prove whether you, whether you love him or not. Now you can either believe in his son and what he did to save you from your sin... Or, can, or you can reject it. But God determines the outcome of that choice that you make. He doesn't determine the choice, but he gave that for you to make. He says, but he outcome, it, the outcome of that choice, if a person chooses to disobey God in the gospel, then God has determined the ramifications for that choice. If a person chooses to accept and believe God, then God has determined to accept and receive that person. And here in this passage of scripture in Psalm chapter 78, Asaph, the psalmist, realised this. See, God in every generation uh, used examples in the past to show man how good he has been in rescuing them and giving them another chance to get right with him. Look at verse 1. It says there, Give ear, O my people, to my law 
Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. See, Asaph knew of the goodness of God because it was passed down to him from previous generations. And uh, I, I thank the Lord that all that was shown to Asaph of the things of old has been even made it, its way to my ears, to this generation. And uh, from the very beginning, God started to show his mercy in salvation, which are all real-life uh, historical illustrations of how God ultimately made a way uh, for even uh, men and women to be able to be reconciled back to him. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, and we will see how it started with even Adam and Eve. See, Adam and Eve, when they had sinned, uh, realised their nakedness before God and tried to cover it all up themselves. In Genesis 3, uh, verse 7 to 11, it says, And the eyes of them both were opened, this is after they had sinned, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee? That thou shouldn't eat, that should not eat. But straight away, God started to show man something. Even in all this, God started to show man something. Yes, everything was cursed from that day, and uh, that's the first thing He showed them. And there's a penalty that there's a penalty for sin. He showed them through the curse that was uh, that came across all mankind and, and and on this world that we live in. You know, from that day forward, there was pain. And childbearing for the women, you know, cursed ground and labour for the man. I was just tilling the ground the other day with a, with a hoe and just thinking about it. And, uh, you know, uh, work's never easy. Physical death for both man and woman. But God showed Adam and Eve something in verse 21 of that very same chapter, in Genesis 3.21. So even in the midst of this curse coming down on the world where Adam and Eve tried to cover up their own sin, it says here, and unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. So the only acceptable covering for their sin and shame is not what they can do, but in what God provides. It took something to die to cover their nakedness. Leaves didn't cut it. Their own coverings were not enough. Even if their intentions were good, their own coverings weren't enough. It had to be what God provided. It had to be the death of an animal, the shedding of blood. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. It says that in Hebrews chapter 9.22. God was showing them something from the very beginning. All these things from the very beginning were to show to man that salvation only comes through God and ultimately through the sacrificial death, burial and resurrection of his son on the cross at Calvary. So people can either accept that from the very beginning or they can reject that. 
But people have had the opportunity right from the beginning. The choice is theirs to make. Man, even after being made subject to the curse that was brought on this world, was still able to make a decision to obey God or disobey God. And we see that with Adam and Eve's sons, Cain and Abel. So it was passed down to them what God required of them. They had a choice to make as well, to either obey God and what he says or reject it. We read that in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. It says, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain... And to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? Look at this. He says, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. So he says there, if thou doest well, will, will thou not be accepted? So Cain had a choice to do uh, things God's way or reject it. God accepted Abel's sacrifice because it depicted the shedding of blood. And that's God's way of dealing with sin. Which points to and ultimately dealt with by the shedding of his own blood through his son Jesus Christ on the cross. So Cain knew better and he chose to disobey God. And it was passed down from his parents what God required. He knew what God required him to do, but he chose to do things his own way. So, but even if he didn't know, and I reckon he did, but if he didn't, the Lord was still gracious to him. He was trying to teach him something. So Cain didn't need to get angry about it. You know, he could have talked to his brother and organised a lamb for next time. You know, if thou, if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? There's the grace of God right there. You know, Cain did go and talk with his brother, but he didn't repent. In verse 8, we read, And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. 1 John 3, 10 to 12, we read in this, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Look at this, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. See, Cain simply had a choice to do well, to do things God's way, but he chose not to. And that's what makes him a child of the devil. He could have been a child of God if he wanted to. If he just did what God asked him to do, but he refused, and even worse, he went and killed his own brother. See, God makes sure that his mercy and his way of salvation and also the way he wants man to live in light of his salvation is passed down from generation to generation and it started right there at the beginning. 
We also have uh, the real life, <coughs> excuse me, historical account of Noah. You know, it was a picture uh, just like water baptism is. You know, water baptism doesn't save anybody. You know, but it is a picture or an example of what does save somebody. You know, it depicts the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're, we're buried with him uh, in baptism, in, immersed with him in his death and raised with him to new life in Christ. You know, Jesus Christ is God's provision for salvation and baptism is a picture of that. And all those found in him through faith will be saved. Noah, he was a preacher of righteousness. A preacher of righteousness preaches how to get right with God. That's what, that's what it is, to preach righteousness. And uh, he also preached righteousness in the way that God wants us to live. So all people in Noah's time, they should have understood by the preaching of Noah what they needed to do to be saved. They should have known. And uh, he would have been preaching all those things that were passed down to him, even from the account of Adam and Eve, right through uh, even the account of Cain and Abel. All these wonderful examples that point to the salvation of the Lord to be saved from sin, ultimately through Jesus Christ. Noah is known as a preacher of righteousness. In 2 Peter chapter 2, 4-5, we read, For God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them unto chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So what do you think? What Noah was preaching, what righteousness was, was Noah preaching in his day? Well, he was preaching the righteousness of God, which is by God's provision. That's what he was preaching. God's provision of salvation, seen from the beginning of time and understood in types and examples and finally exemplified in Jesus Christ on the cross for lost sinners. Even the ark, the ark itself is a type of Christ depicting God's provision for salvation. All those found in the ark lived and the rest perished. All those found in Christ will live for eternity and the rest will perish. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. We read this about Noah being a type of Christ. For Christ also, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, for Christ also hath suffered for sins. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Look at this. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein a few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. So how did Christ preach to the spirits of souls that are now in prison, you know, prison here, I believe, being an eternal life sentence in hell. But at one point, they're all alive and free, free to hear the message of Christ in Noah's day. Well, how and when did Christ preach to them? Well, he did it through Noah. Noah was a type of Christ. They were preached to, but they were disobedient. But God was long-suffering toward them. You know, scholars looking at the dates and the timeline say it took anywhere from 70 to 100 years to build the ark. And that's a long time to be preaching the righteousness of God. You know, he's, uh, he was waiting for them to repent. 
waiting, but they chose not to. So everyone, everyone gets to hear the salvation of God. The skin coverings of Adam and Eve, the offering of Abel in comparison to Cain's offering, the flood, Noah, the ark, the water, even the Jewish Passover lamb, the deliverance from Egypt, the water from the rock in the wilderness wanderings, the manna from heaven that fed the Israelites, are all like figures, just like water baptism is, that symbolises and points to the Saviour, Jesus Christ, the only one that can save us from our sin. See, Jesus Christ is the bread of life that came down from heaven that gives life to the world. And the bread that he gives is his flesh, he says in John chapter 6, his body as a sacrifice for sin on the cross for sinners. See, Christ suffering for sins, the just for the unjust, was preached to the people in Noah's day. When once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. See, verse 21 says, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Look at this, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see it there. The water doesn't save you, doesn't wash away, the filthiness of your flesh, but it's an answer of a good conscience toward God and what really saves you. And what really saves you is Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross for you. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. See, anyone would have been welcome to believe Noah's message and get on board the ark in his day. Anyone would have been welcome. But they loved their sin and they thought nothing of the salvation of God through Noah's preaching. That's, that's why. All men throughout all time have had an opportunity to understand that it is God that saves. And it comes through his provision. And it all, always points to Jesus Christ. God has always told men how he wants them to be saved. And how he wants them to live. It has been happening right from the very beginning. All men, everywhere, throughout all time, are without excuse before God. Back in our main passage in Psalm 78, even Asaph knew that was the purpose of God in setting up the nation of Israel. Israel was, be, was to be a testimony of God's grace. Look at verse 5, Psalm 78, verse 5. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children that the generation to come might know them, even the children which shall be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And even when Israel were disobedient, God was still able to use even those examples to the next generation to show them not, what not to do. God started with that nation and he was going to use that nation whether, whether they were for him or whether they were against him. What God promised to do in bringing the saviour of the world through that nation, not even the disobedience of that nation was going to stop him. God was determined to bring the salvation of the world. He was going to use every example to show men throughout all history examples of what to do, what not to do, examples of Christ. 
We see it all throughout the Old Testament. Bad kings came. Good kings came after them and got, uh, got the Israelites back on board again. Well, they go well for a while and that king dies and then another one comes. Uh, then uh, all, he undoes all the, the, the things that the, the previous king did and this just keeps going on and on and on throughout Israel's history. But the whole time, God never stopped once thundering the truth through the prophets. Never. Even when they were disobedient, there was a prophet there that just thundered the truth. And it can't be stopped and it can't be stopped today. Men may want to stop it, but it can't be stopped. We live in a generation of Christianity for the most part has strayed from the Lord into the idolatry of this world. Honestly, that's what it, that's what it is. Christianity today, uh, I believe, would make God sick as a whole. But the truth of God cannot be stopped. Now, and I'm going to keep, by the grace of God, you know, I might, might be able to thunder it like those prophets, but I'm going to keep telling the truth to the next generation that they might be pulled out of that fire too. And I'm encouraged here by Asaph, because look at verse 6 again. This is the reason why. He says that the generation to come might know them. Even the children which should be born should arise and declare them to their children. So here we see uh, the heart of Asaph, the psalmist, the reason why he has this passion for the truth of, truth of God. Look at verse 7. That they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So the next generation, they're either going to listen and they're either going to take heed or they're going to go the way of many that went before them and willingly forget the wonderful works of God. It happened in the past. I believe it's happening now. I believe it's going to happen in the future. And we can either be Abel or we can be Cain. We can either be a Noah or we can be like the rest of the people in Noah's day that perished. The choice uh, is ours to make. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 3. So Jeremiah, he was the last prophet sent to Judah uh, to declare judgment that was coming to them because they uh, had forgotten their God and committed spiritual adultery with the idolatry of the nations around them. <coughs> and uh, look at verse 6 of chapter 3. The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, this is uh, Jeremiah speaking, hast thou seen that which, that which backsliding Israel hath done? She is gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. And I said after she had done all these things, turn thou unto me. But she returned not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. See, Jeremiah, he was prophesying uh, during a time where there was the, the divided kingdom of Israel. There was Israel in the north, and I uh, uh, spoke about this last time. There's Judah in the south. Israel at this time in the north had been uh, destroyed uh, and overtaken by the Assyrians. God let the uh, Assyrians come, across, uh, come upon the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, uh, to judge them from, uh, because of their disobedience. And only Judah in the south remained with its capital being Jerusalem. But Israel in the north were given many chances uh, to return to the Lord, but they refused. Verse 8 and 9, And I saw for, 
uh, when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce, yet her treacherous sister feared not, but went and played the harlot also. And it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom, this is still talking about Israel in the north here, that she defiled the land and committed adultery with, the, with stones and with stocks. Stones and stocks, that's, uh, there are idols of wood and stone that the nations uh, around them worshipped. And uh, Israel just thought it was a light thing, just dabbling in this idolatry. Uh, and Judah was warned. They saw the causes. They saw the causes of why God uh, judged the northern kingdom. And, uh, but they still had no fear. It didn't really bother them too much. Look at verse 10. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but look at this, but feignedly, saith the Lord. See, they turned to the Lord, but not because they were broken over their own sin and idolatry. They may have even gotten rid of some things when they saw what happened up north, but it wasn't for the right reasons. That word feignedly means to make a show of or to pretend or to assume a false appearance, appearance or, or to counterfeit, you know, to represent falsely, to pretend, to form and relate a fictitious tale. See, their heart wasn't really in it. But look at this in verse 11. It says, And the Lord said unto me, The backsliding Israel <coughs> excuse me, hath justified herself more than treacherous Judah. So how was Israel justified more than Judah when Israel had committed outright, open-sided, point-blank spiritual adultery? How? It's because Judah had seen it. Judah had seen it. And they made a show, only pretend that they were not like them. But God could see right through it. God could see right through it. Look at verse 12. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Look at this. Only acknowledge thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and hast scattered the ways to the strangers under every green tree, and ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family and I'll bring you to Zion and I'll give you pastors according to mine heart which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. See, that's God's desire. God's desire uh, for people is they get right with him. He's merciful. He just wants people to acknowledge their iniquity. Acknowledge their backslidden heart and turn to the Lord and get right with him. Acknowledging is not enough. See, Judah turned but not with a whole heart. Not with a whole heart. It was feigned. You know, to backslide into wick wickedness is, is a terrible, terrible thing. Now, Israel committed a terrible thing to backslide into wickedness. But to see it happen, to see it happening up there in the northern kingdom and have it not affect your heart when it should is treacherous. That's treacherous. So how many today within Christianity have been warned of the past, they have seen what's happened, you know, they've been taught and, uh, you know, they, that they might know them. They've seen the things. They've, they've read the words of Asaph even in Psalm 78 and, uh, you know, verse 7, that they 
might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments and not, might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. But they reject it. See, many today that profess to know Christ are not steadfast with God. They're not steadfast with God. Now, people don't have an excuse to reject the salvation of God and Christians don't have an excuse to reject the way God wants them to live. Amen. And living for God is nothing like the world. Mm. It's nothing like the idolatry that we see in the world around us. And the reason people aren't steadfast, steadfast with God is not because they haven't seen, not because they haven't heard. You know, maybe not even because they haven't been taught, because it's right here in the Bible. It's right here. It might be for the reason that they're just like the people in Judah, in Jeremiah's time. You know, they don't fear God. You know, a feigned show of religion. A generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. But the early church, see, they, they started off steadfast in the faith and started with and it started with uh, repentant Israelites. And uh, we need to learn from them. We need to learn to uh, continue in those things that they were steadfast in. So the very first 3,000 converts continued steadfast in the faith, it says in the Bible. The Apostle Peter, look at Acts chapter 2. The Apostle Peter is preaching to these Israelites. And uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 36 he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? So that's what happens when you learn and take heed from the things of the past. And you are pricked in the heart. And your, your immediate attitude is, what, what can I do? What, what shall I do? Well, the first port of call is get saved. The first port of call is get saved by the preciousness of our Saviour who died for us on that cross of Calvary. Put your trust in Jesus Christ who died for you. That's the first port of call. First port of call. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Get saved. Have your sins forgiven. Amen. Repent. Mm. Repent. And then be baptized and identify yourself with your, with your Saviour. Verse 30, 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. But look at this. Look who the promise is, uh, here is to. Look, look, look who this promise to. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord God shall call. So the promise has been passed down from generation to generation, from children to their children, from Adam and Eve, all the way down through to now, even as many as the Lord shall call. And the Lord doesn't leave anybody out. 
Nobody can say the Lord didn't call me to partake of this promise. Nobody can say that. He called, but they refused. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24 to 25 says, Because I have called, and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. Jesus also said in Luke 5, verse 32, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I don't know anyone that's not a sinner. So he calls everybody. Everybody. He calls everyone to repentance to receive that wonderful promise of forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. Back in Acts chapter 2, verse 40 to 43, we read, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Look at this. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now, notice this. Now, were they like the people of Judah in Jeremiah's time, where they saw what was happening up in the north? You know, did they turn to God faintedly? Or did they turn with their whole heart? Verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. So that's what true salvation causes you to do. Causes you to do. It causes you to be steadfast. It causes you to be a steadfast Christian. You know, you love the apostles' doctrine because it's from God. And you want to live it out. You love the fellowship of believers because they encourage you to live for the Lord. And you want to be there to encourage them to live for the Lord. You love the breaking of bread because it reminds you of your precious Saviour that gave himself a sacrifice for your sins. You love praying to God, praising him for the new life you have in Christ. You can speak to him as a friend. I mean, you can fall, but you get straight back up again into the steadfastness that you, that you have with Christ. Your pattern is steadfastness. It's not faintedness, but it's steadfastness in the faith. And that's what the grace of God teaches us to do, to be steadfast Christians. Not feigned Christians. Titus 2, 11 to 15 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Praise God for that. Amen. Teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Look at this, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. There's not enough peculiar Christians around today. They just blend in with the world around them. You can't tell any difference. This one's holding a beer and this one's holding a beer. What's going on there? Shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't be the same. He sounds the same as him. What's going on there? Verse 15 says, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. That's what steadfastness looks like. 
1 Peter 5, 8 to 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist feignedly in the faith. It doesn't say that. It says resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. There's other people, there's other Christians in the world going through the same temptations. The adversary of the devil out there is tempting them to sin. But know this, that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We're not the only ones going through this. But we can resist it being steadfast in the faith. So how does the devil want to defile Christians? Well, he entices you to sin. That's what he does. Like he does to anybody and everybody. That's what he does. He's, it's because that's who he is. He's the father of lies and he's the father of wickedness. And you can't blame your sinning on God. You can't do that. See, God, God doesn't tempt you to sin. He doesn't entice anyone to sin. But know this, you can't even blame it entirely on the devil either. You, know, you can't say, oh, the devil made me do it. Because the devil can only entice you to sin. You can resist the devil if you're steadfast in the faith. But if you don't, and if you just want to do it feignedly, well, the devil will get the victory instead of you. So James 1, 13 to 16 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Look at this. Do not err, my beloved brethren. It says there, drawn away of his own lust. So you can't blame that on God or the, or the devil. It's your own lust. He can only entice you to do it, but only if you are drawn away of your own lust. See, that's why men will be judged for their own sin. Because they had a choice and they chose to do it. But we all have another choice. Thanks to the Lord, we have another choice, and that's to be forgiven of our sin Amen. through God's provision. Jesus Christ is God's provision. He was crucified on a cross for our sin. He willingly went to the cross to take the punishment that we deserve for our sin. He was whipped. He was mocked. They got a crown of thorns. They twisted it into his head. They spat on him. They put nails in his hands, in his feet. And they nailed him to a wooden cross where he hung there and died for our sin. And he did that for you. And he did that for me. The Bible says in Isaiah 52 verse 14, As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. So he was hanging there unrecognisable. He was so marred more than any man. And this is what he went through. And he was sinless, but he did this for you and he did this for me. Isaiah 53, verse 5 to 7, we read, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. 
Look at this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Look at this. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. See, the Lord, it pleased the Lord to bruise him because the Lord loved you and he loved me. And it's the only way that we can be forgiven of our sin. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Wow. I mean, I thank the Lord for that. You know, we, we, didn't, we don't deserve his love but he bestowed his, his love upon us through his son, Jesus Christ, even when we don't deserve it. How can you not be thankful to the Lord for that? How can you not, you know, look to heaven, thank the Lord, and put your trust in Jesus Christ to be forgiven of your sin? If you haven't believed in Jesus Christ, believe on him. Put your trust in the provision of God for salvation, that you can have a home in heaven. Now let this be a reminder to those of us that are saved that this is the reason that we live for Jesus Christ, because of what he did for us. Let this be a reminder. Let's pass this on to our children, that their children might pass it on to their children, so on and so on. But if there's anybody here that is yet to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour and what he did for you, let it also be a reminder that God wants to save you. And you're going to keep hearing it. Probably already heard it. I'm, not, I'm never the first one to tell anyone about Jesus Christ. I want to be. I just never am. They've already heard of him somewhere, some way. I'm just telling them again. It changed my life 11 years ago when I put my trust in Jesus Christ. My, li my life has completely changed. I haven't been the same. Now I have a different attitude toward God now. I have a relationship with God that I never had before I was saved. And it keeps growing. My relationship keeps growing with the Lord every day. The more I get to know him. You know, I can say it like this. I'm one beggar telling another beggar where he can find bread. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 to 21 says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Be ye reconciled to God. He wants to reconcile you back to him. For he hath made him, that's Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In the very next chapter, in verses 1 to 2, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, 
We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succoured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. When you hear the gospel, when it comes to your ears, don't leave it, don't put it off. I thank the Lord for his provision. I thank the Lord that he's been such a good God and he's given his provision from the very first man and woman that were created, Adam and Eve. And we've seen that provision come right through to this day. I thank the Lord for it. He's always given a way for men to be saved from their sin. Ultimately, through the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I thank the Lord for that. Let's be like Asaph and keep telling everyone about it. That was his heart. In Psalm 78, he says that the generation to come, verse 6, might know them. Even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. But look at this and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and a rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit, look at this, was not steadfast with God. Get saved and get steadfast with God and change the past. Change the past because we can. It happened throughout Israel's history. You see it all the time. Bad kings, a whole nation goes downhill. A good king comes along and gets right back into the word of God and gets things right again. Let's pray.